Okay, so at this time, we are blessed to have our sermon for today brought to us by Pastor Steve Andrews, entitled, Finding That One Pearl of Great Price. I wanted to address uh, those that might be tuning in today. I just received a, a mail from Richard. He gave it to me from Chisholm, Minnesota. Hello, Chisholm, Minnesota, if you're watching today. We hope that you're blessed with the service, and we sometimes forget that there are those that are tuning in, and we, uh, we do prepare, and we do hope that things that we bring will be a blessing for you on the Sabbath, and hopefully we will remember that you're there and that we will um, acknowledge you occasionally. So today, on this Sabbath, I've chosen finding that one pearl of great price. And it comes from some parables that Jesus was giving. And it's in Matthew, the 13th chapter. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man. Verse 45. Seeking goodly pearls. Everything, everybody knows where pearl comes from, I hope. <laughs> Maybe the littlest ones don't. But goodly pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So today... Finding that one pearl of great price. It really disturbs me a great deal that we live in a world where young men in their 20s who are just beginning in life are so angry, so pent up with anger and frustration in their life that they're willing to go out and kill somebody. It's frustrating to me to see millionaires who are taking young girls and stealing their innocence away from them. The headlines sometimes seem hopeless in the society that we live in today. And yet, in the society that we live in, there is so much, so much that we have in the way of enjoyment and pleasures. and We're not living in a society in which we have to uh, you know, start out from scratch and, and take the, you know, cut down trees and build our own houses. I just got through with a book called The Pioneers by David McCullough. And it's a very good book. And they did exactly that. This was on the Ohio Valley, and they would go in, and they, they were pioneers, and they literally trekked into that area, cut down the trees, built the houses from scratch, lived in, sometimes in, in, in tremendous problems that we don't face in this society today. I mean, we have the diseases and things that they didn't have to face. They faced um, plagues and different things that came upon them. But their, their life as pioneers was very different from our life today. 
in this society today that are being, where they're being taught, you are a product of evolution. You are a product of what we tell you you are. Instead of understanding that there is a wisdom that is available to all peoples all over, and it's in this book. When men go on their own, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And actually, it's, the Bible says the ways of death, because there are more ways to die, isn't there? Different. What I want to come across with today is a few things that I want those who might come across this someday on YouTube or wherever it may be, or maybe just out there that you're listening today, if you're new to this way, if you're new to this, this way of life, if you haven't come to really understand the truth, the blessings that are written in this book and the hope that is there because what is written is about individuals future in the kingdom of God but it all has to start somewhere and you have to find a basis a ground level basis for your understanding and the only way to do that is to come to understand that there, that God does exist and we live in a society today, we live in a time in society today where it is very, very easy to prove that God exists. Science, and especially microbiologists, are exploding the information about God's existence. And it's a powerful thing. In John, the fourth chapter, we find that God is a spirit. And we must worship Him. That's John 4, verse 24. I know that one. You know that one. God is a spirit. Well, we need to come to understand this God. We need to come to understand who He is, what He is. The Bible says in Isaiah, the 45th chapter, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I have made the earth and created man upon it. And yet we, all of us who have ever taken biology courses, I did in high school, and I remember so vividly the teacher explaining all of the, the evolutionary processes and how it works. And, and at that time, I was, you know, I just come right along. I made really good grades in biology. <laughs> and I, I was really happy to, to dissect that frog and all of the different things. And, but I did not understand at that time, and when I was a young man in high school, I did not understand the power that I was seeing there on the table in front of me. It says in, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6, and, and I'm going to turn to that one, because I want to make sure that everybody, that I read it correctly, because it's so important. This is the faith chapter, and for those who are out there, and you want to have some really good depth of understanding about faith. This is the chapter to go to. But it says in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For he that comes to God must believe that he is. Well, how do you come to a faith in belief that God is if you're taught that we come from pond scum? You know, it's just one of those things. I, I want you to be able, those who may come along and, and, and read and, and, and listen to this, I want you to be um, super critical. Go out and research and look up things and prove all things. Prove what the Bible says. It is so important. So if you, if you prove that God exists and you believe that he is, then he is a rewarder. He, he rewards you, um, that are, that those that diligently seek him. So, th that's us in here. And we hope that some of you that are watching are, are those also that really believe that God is, that he does exist, and that he is a rewarder of, you, of, you, of, of your own personal self because you are seeking him diligently. Now, in uh, Psalms 139, also, just a real quick one over there. Uh, I can't remember why I wrote this one down, but I'm sure that it was important at the time. <laughs> well, let's read Psalm 139 and verse uh, 14. It says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows great well. Now, um, Richard or uh, Brian, I need to walk down and get a book. So if I'm going to make a lot of noise. <laughs> I forgot this book. I love this thing. It's a really very pow uh, powerful book, but it's a little hard to, to read because this is a Stephen C. Meyer is, uh, what do I word? A very deep thinker, <laughs> extremely deep. And the signature in the cell, this is some early things. And this is just one page in a very, very large book with a lot of information in Verse. Uh, this is page 26 in Signature in the uh, Cell by uh, Stephen C. Meyer. A controversy that, they, that erupted at a conference added to my sense of intrigue. During a session on the origin of life, the scientists were discussing where the information in DNA come from. How do chemicals arrange themselves to produce code? What introduced drama into what might have otherwise been a dry academic discussion? Was the reaction of some of the scientists a new idea? Three of the scientists on the panel had just published a controversial book called The Mystery of Life's Origin with a prominent New York publisher of scientific monographs. Their book provided a comprehensive critique of the attempts that had been made to explain how the first life had arisen from the primordial ocean in the so-called prebiotic soup. These scientists, Charles Thaxton, Walter Bradley, and Roger Olson, had come to the conclusion that all such theories had failed to explain the origin of the first life. Surprisingly, the other scientists on the panel, all experts in the field, did not dispute the critique. Hmm, interesting. What the other scientists dispute was the controversial new hypothesis that Thaxton and his colleagues had floated in the epilogue of their book in an attempt to explain the DNA enigma. 
they have suggested that the information in DNA might have originated from the intelligent source, or as they put it, uh, put it in an intelligent cause. Since in our experience, information arises from intelligent source, and since the information in DNA was, in their words, mathematically identical to the information in a written language or computer code, they suggested that the presence of information in DNA pointed to an intelligent cause. The code, in other words, pointed to a programmer, the great programmer. I would like everyone, if you really have any doubts about the existence of God, and you want maybe a little different perspective, the intelligent design people have a very tremendous program, and they have a lot of inf in interesting information. It's at intelligentdesign.org. And I have one short video that I pulled up. It is called ATP Synthase. Synthase. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. The power plant of the cell. Brian, could you play that for us, please? It's been called one of the wonders of the molecular world, an amazing nanoscale machine. ATP synthase is a high-tech micromolecular power generator inside the cells of your body. It generates adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, an energy molecule that provides fuel that every one of your cells needs to function. Without this fuel, your cells will cease operation, and so will you. ATP synthase works like a rotary engine. The barrel-shaped rotator is composed of 10 to 15 protein parts called subunits. The rotator spins around, transmitting mechanical energy into the drive shaft of the machine, which helps make ATP. This drive shaft has a specially placed bump that opens and closes parts as the drive shaft spins around. This bump opens special protein subunits on the bottom of the machine. When the bottom subunits open, a spent energy molecule called adenosine diphosphate, or ADP, enters the machine. The mechanical motion causes the ADP to bind with an additional phosphate group, creating the ATP energy molecule. And the ATP drifts off into the cell, ready to power some biomechanical reaction. The ATP synthase machine has many parts we recognize from human-designed technology. 
A rotor, a stator, a drive shaft and other basic components of a rotary engine. The ATP synthase is one of thousands of elegantly designed molecular machines inside your cells that make your life and all known life possible. ATP synthase. An example of intelligent design. I think you can see our designer is very, very powerful and very wonderful in what he is doing. And these things work in your body constantly, all the time. Uh, you know, unless something goes wrong, you don't have to worry. You, you eat, you drink, you, you live your life. And God has made it that way. He has given us tremendous blessing in that area. God has also designed something else that's profound. And he, he did it when he created man and woman. He created them in his image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. And then put them in the Garden of Eden. And I've talked about that many times. We live in a society now that is beginning to confuse this very profound thing that God did in the beginning when he created human beings. We now have gender confusion. I'll call it that. I'm not going to get into that. I've done that before. But we now have gender confusion, and we also have sexual confusion. In our, it's not just in America. It's all over the world. It's beginning to affect everyone in the world. And God created man for great and wonderful purpose. And that purpose is to be in his family. To be a part of his family as the great father and the son. And if you're really interested in, in, a, in a deeper understanding of, uh, of the, the, the gender confusion and the sexual confusion... You can read the very words of God in Leviticus, the 18th chapter. Literally. He tells us what is right and what is wrong. Broken homes, broken lives, because of these things that are going on today in the society that we live in. And it's sad because we have the ability to see what is right by the word that has been there for thousands of years. In Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew 16. And verses 14. This is a revelation. And they said, Jesus came... Um, Verse 13, let's start with verse 13 here. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea at Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, some say that you are the, uh, John the Baptist, some Elijah, others are you Jeremiah, and, uh, and one the, uh, of the prophets. And he said to them, but whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's interesting, they understood the relationship, the son to the father. They understood that relationship. Peter understood. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. He revealed this, this understanding of the, the relationship, the family relationship. In 1 John, the third chapter, we're, we're very familiar with all of these verses, but in the context of the message today, in understanding that we're, we're trying to, we're, we're searching for that pearl of great price, which is the kingdom of God. It is the good news. It is the gospel message that we're looking for. The good news of the kingdom of God, because that is the pearl of great price. In 1 John, the third chapter, and I'll get to it here in a minute, and everyone here probably remembers, Knows it by heart. But behold, what manner of love the Father, the Father, in other words, another parental relationship. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and we shall be a part of that family. He already calls us. Those of us, he already calls us a part of his family. We are his sons and his daughters today in his family. And those that might be listening to this and coming in uh, later and listening to it, you also can have a part in this family and I, I have to ask the question, well, how do you enter this family? How does it happen? Well, there is a great calling going on all the time, all over the world. I mean, sometimes, well, where is that calling? Is that phone for me? Is that call for me? Well, when God begins to call you, yes, that call is for you. And he wants you to answer that call. In 1 Corinthians, I appreciate uh, Reg's message because um, I was thinking about that as he was talking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I fit these, and more of these than I fit anything else in 1 Corinthians 26. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And, and Reg is right. We, when we come into the church, sometimes we, we don't know where we fit especially if we're new in a congregation. But you always have the ability to, to be a part of, of the congregation because that's what God wants. Just like Reg was saying, he, he has given you a place to come and to serve and to be of service if you want. And he has a purpose and he has a reason and he has a, um, a direction for each and every one of us. But... It is to God's glory because that's what it says. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things of the world 
uh, and the things which are despised as God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. That's the whole point. God brings us in. He knows that we're going to worship Him and we're going to give Him glory. We're going to give Him... Because we ourselves, it's like Moses. Remember what Moses... Moses argued with God. I mean, how many of us argue with God? God, why did you call me? No. Moses argued with God. I'm not, I'm not capable of doing this. I'm not able to go do this. Why, look at me. I can't even speak. I stutter. God says, you're going. <laughs> you're going to do it. Yeah, this is the whole point. Understand that this is what our calling is about. That God has called us. And those who are listening, who may come, there is a calling going out. And you can be a part of it. And you don't have to be uh, a rich a person or anything, you can just heed the calling. And I'll show you here in a second how to come to God and how to be able to be a part of that family. That no flesh should go in his, in his sight. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according to His written, He that glories, let Him glory in the Lord. So we give all the glory for what our calling to God and to Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. We give that, that to, the, to them. In Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians 1, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Boy, do we need that in this society today. Those of us that are older, we live in a, in a, in a more religious society. Not necessarily understanding everything in God's Word, but there was an understanding that there was evil and that it shouldn't be a part of what we live in. We, we should not have those evils in our, in our society. But over time, things have changed. And what we have to do now is we have to reach out and we have to let everyone know that God still loves His creation and still wants us, still wants them in His kingdom. And there is a great calling going out and it just needs to be heeded the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who, be, who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavens, heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. You know, Jesus Christ is the head of our congregation. I believe that. And I ask God, Christ to, to, to direct us in this way. Which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So there is a process. 
that all of us go through. And those that might come and want to come to baptism go through that process. They need to go through that process. They need to have those things in their heart before they come to baptism. But God is calling people. He wants you in His family. He wants you to be a part of that family. And so He's given us a direction. And, and Peter was, was with, filled with God's Holy Spirit. One of the most powerful messages Peter preaches on that day of Pentecost. He gets out and he just pours his soul out. Because the Spirit was just moving in him to bring these words out. You men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held of it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall Rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me full of joy with your countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. I mean, it was, you can imagine Peter standing before all these people. Let me tell you about the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us to this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spoke of the resurrection of Christ that his soul would be not left in hell neither his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore by being uh, therefore, being at the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he says of himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit you on my right hand until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that is a good news. That we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father today. And now, when they heard this, they were all pricked in their heart. And that's where all of us have to come to that point. Where we're pricked in the heart. We're, we are devastated that we, if we'd have been there, we would have also said, crucify Him, crucify Him. It is a fact we would have been a part of those people. And so he said, they were pricked in their heart. Peter said unto them, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent. It means to change your way, to, to go a different way, to change your life, to get away from the world and the things of this world and the lies of this world. Repent. And be baptized. And that means to be completely immersed. It is important 
that the baptism be a complete immersion because it represents the death of the old man and the rising of the new man. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, what a name, what a powerful name, as that being sits at the right hand of the Father. And I think the more we could understand the power that is there, the more we would receive some of the the blessings that come from that very throne. For the remissions of sins, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a positive. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord shall call. That call is going out today. Constantly going out. And I'm calling for you to hear the word and to repent if you have it. And if you're a young man or a young woman and you're wanting to come to this way, read God's word. Come to those who have wisdom in God's word. And repent and be baptized to receive God's Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. And with many of these other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Even back then, he called it a perverse generation. Well, it's a lot more perverse today. Probably, I, I don't know, maybe it was ext- extremely perverse, as, Rich, as Reggie was saying, uh, even in a, Ephesus, they, <laughs> they had some pretty bad stuff going on. So, we now know there's a calling going out. We know how uh, to enter the family of God. So what, what is the reason for doing all this? Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to become uh, uh, in the family of God? Because God holds out eternal life for everyone that answers this call and truly repents and truly wants to come. In Matthew, again, in the 13th chapter, we're going to pick back up in some of those parables, beginning in verse 43 again. We're going to, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who has ears, let him hear. The righteous shall be in the kingdom and shall shine brightly. And they'll be able to see Jesus Christ as he is. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like... uh, to a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man found, he hides, and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It is so valuable that you're willing to give up everything, everything for this treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. In other words, excellent or beautiful pearls. Because that's what the kingdom of God is. Beautiful, excellent, wonderful place. We all want to be there. And we want as many in the world to be there. Who which, when he had found that one pearl of great price, when he went and sold all that he had and bought it. He sold everything. And he bought that pearl. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast out the bad away. So shall it be in the end of the world. The angels shall come forth 
and sever the wicked from the just. There will be judgment. And there will be some that will be cast forth. I hope that will be a minimum. I hope that some will hear and repent and change and come into the family of God. He said, then they shall be cast into the furnace of fire and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Again in the 16th chapter. And beginning in verse 24. And he said, then said Jesus to his disciples, if any man shall come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there will be some standing here which will not taste of death. And you know, what that was, that was the transconfiguration. But, understand that that day will come and it will be a glorious day and we will stand with Christ in this kingdom. It will be a wonderful and beautiful time. We know that the kingdom of God will rule on this earth. And we know that Jesus Christ will be a tremendously powerful ruler and that will rule with an iron fist and a, and a rod of iron if he needs to, but he's also going to rule with love, and he's going to reach out to those that survive that great and terrible time. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we, we find that Paul is, is helping people to understand about the resurrection, and how important it is that Jesus was resurrected. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would still be in our sins. But because Christ is resurrected, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. This is a very powerful and wonderful thing. In verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in, as in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. We'll be next. <laughs> Christ is already there. We'll be next. We'll be, we'll be there. Then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. And when he shall have put down all rule and all authority. This is a synopsis of what Jesus Christ is going to be doing. And it's just in a few verses. I, I love Paul's writing because that's what he does. He just, he just gets to the heart and core of the situation. And this is it. Even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he shall put all enemies under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued to him, then shall the Son also himself be sub, uh, sub, subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. It will be a beautiful time to understand even the relationship of the Father and the Son and, and a deeper understanding of that family relationship because we're going to be there. We're going to understand that family relationship. 
won't we? We will come to understand how we will be a part of it, just like Reggie was saying. We, we have things that we do here in the church, but we're going to have things that we're going to be powerfully doing in the kingdom of God, and rulership and different things that we are going to do in the kingdom of God. So, how important is our relationship to God? It is tremendously important. And of course, in Matthew, the 24th chapter, and we're very familiar with that one too, Matthew 24. Just a few verses here. Matthew 24, 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, I'm just breaking into the light. The sun shall be darkened. The moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from the heavens and the power of heavens shall be shaken. And shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect, you and I, from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And so consequently, we will be there. And we will be a part of that. And it is a powerful thing. The tribulation and all the destruction and everything. And we'll be there to help. To give our help to these people that are going to need help. And so how important it is for for us to stay faithful to, to this way of life. I might skip this. Everyone is very familiar with Isaiah, the second chapter, 2 through 4. And I, I want you to, to go back and, and read that, because I quote it quite a bit. But I want, sometimes we, especially you and I, who are, we've been in this way for a long time. We've, we've lived this way. We've, we've kept God's Sabbath days. We've kept his holy days. We've kept all those things, and we're looking for the day that we're in the kingdom. What we have to be reminded of, and what we have to really grasp, is the things that God is holding out for us. It's not just being having eternal life, but he's also placing us with all kinds of wonderful things, crowns of life, crowns, uh, and, and the ability to rule. You say, well, I, I don't know if I can rule or not. Well, God is going to give us that ability. We will have the ability to rule. Even if it's, even if it's only a couple of cities or, or five cities, we will have the ability to rule. If we're faithful, if we make it into the kingdom, we're faithful. There are so many beautiful rewards for making it into the kingdom. And I'm thankful that uh, Jesus was faithful in giving us some the seven churches and the rewards that are there because it is for everyone to hear this. This is not just for the churches, this is for everyone. And when you come on to this and you see chapter 2 and verse 7, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's down through the ages. It's not just for these churches, it's down through the ages. These are for everyone that is faithful. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. For those who are listening in, it is a a tremendous, there's something about being able to go back into the Garden of Eden and to partake of the tree of life. Essentially, God is opening the door, the tree of life, 
will be able for us who are in his kingdom. I don't know how it works. I don't know the spirit, if it's a spiritual tree, if it's a physical tree or whatever it is. But it says, we will. He will be able to eat of the tree of life in the midst of the garden of the paradise of God. I won't be there to find out. I, that's all I have to say. I won't be there. Verse 11, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So, we understand that we grow old and we die. That's the first death. The second death is when you reject God. And God, and you don't want to be a part of his kingdom. Whether you're you say it or whether it's your lifestyle or whatever, that's it. You, you participate in the second death and you, you have no part in God's kingdom. But if you make it into this, if you're in his kingdom, the second death will not have any power over any of us. Which is so wonderful to understand that we will live for all eternity with the Father and the Son in his kingdom. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, verse 17 in chapter 2, what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him the white stone, and the stone a new uh, name written which no man knows, saving he that receives it. Some of this is so well hidden, we don't really understand, and we won't understand until we're in the kingdom, will we? We won't understand the significance of this white stone that's given that has only a name that we are privy to. And God, Jesus Christ, are privy to. We, individually. <clears throat> Verse 26, he that overcomes. You know, overcoming is continuing on in this way of life to the best of our ability with God directing and guiding us. Going by this Bible, going by the Word of God, correcting our lives when we see that we're going in the wrong direction. Repenting when we need to repent of the sins that we commit, if we commit some. And so that is what overcoming is all about. Because once, we're in the, once we have been baptized, we've received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we've received um, the Holy Spirit, this is what our life is. Overcoming. Continually overcoming until we come into the kingdom of God. So, he that overcomes and keeps my works, verse 26, to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. You will rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now chapter 3, number, number 5. I don't know if you've been counting or not, but I've got them all marked in my Bible. I, I used to do this so often, I had to finally mark them so that I would... I could just find them without having to even uh, look at them. Uh, this is uh, chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcomes the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I don't know about you, but coming before the Father and the angels and being confessed before them, It's, it's going to be a, a tremendous uh, rejoicing in the kingdom. A tremendous rejoicing that we will be a part of. 
Number six is, is verse 12 through, four, uh, through 13. Him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall, not, he shall uh, go no more out. And I will write upon his, him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Which is New Jerusalem. Which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And those that are listening in today, you are part. If you want to be a part, if you desire to find that pearl of great price, and you are willing to give up everything for that, to him that overcomes, verse 21, the last one, number 7, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I've overcome and am sat down with my Father in His throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen.